Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. Cheetah Digital's relationship marketing platform bridges the gaps in your customer data moving people from unknown consumers to loyal brand ambassadors. With customer acquisition, multi-channel messaging, and customized emotional loyalty programs, Cheetah Digital is a one-stop shop for enterprise brands looking to simplify and scale their relationship marketing strategy. Learn how brands such as American Airlines and Discovery Incorporated use Cheetah Digital to drive increased revenue with video case studies available on cheetahdigital.com. Hello and welcome to episode 198 of Let's Talk Loyalty. Today, I'm chatting with one of the most creative and insightful practitioners in the industry. With a real commitment to understanding business issues, and how to use loyalty mechanics to solve them. Billy Louisu is best known as the Vice President of Go-To-Market Asia-Pacific for Cheetah Digital. He is also a member of the Advisory Board of the Australian Loyalty Association. Billy shared some fascinating insights with me. For example, the first real example of a brand that has successfully used NFTs to build customer loyalty. But most importantly, we talked about why loyalty is perhaps the most important tool for any marketeer in 2022, as cookies and other forms of digital marketing solutions are set to become obsolete. So, Billy, you are joining me today from Melbourne, Australia. Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty. Thanks for having me, Paula. How are you? I'm extremely well. Delighted to be chatting with you. And yes, I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time uh, for a lot of reasons, including uh, various very creative things that you do that we'll get into today. But listen, we're here to talk mainly about loyalty. And as you know, my favorite question at the moment is asking people about their favorite loyalty programs. So given all of your incredible experience, particularly in APAC, please do tell me what is your favorite loyalty program at the moment? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, you post that one on me and I had to rack my brains. There's a lot of loyalty programs that I'm a fan of, but I'm going to give you an example of probably the one of the most like creative executions in loyalty programs that I've seen. And it's uh, a bakery chain by the name of Baker's Delight. It's still a family owned business. It's started here out of Melbourne. They've got franchises, I think over 300 franchise stores. And the program's called dough getters so as you can see from the creativity right yes Uh, d-o-u-g-h getters and yeah what they've what they've done is not like revolutionary but they've just turned the typical punch card loyalty program of you know buy certain loaves of bread or spend a certain amount of money and get cash back Mm. but the execution is just it's just super cool. Like they've got little um, crumbs in their app. You know, they say you're on a roll, you know, no wow. pun intended when yeah. you've achieved certain limits and when you've got no uh, no offers or when you've got an issue like with Wi-Fi, they say uh, like like Homer Simpson does, don't. Uh, oh, brilliant. So, yeah, I love it. I think it's great. <laughs> 
Wow. It's a brilliant example, Billy. Um, and yeah, I think the creativity piece is probably one that's um, underappreciated, maybe, and under-respected. Like, I've often said, you know, it's actually quite easy, I think, in this day and age to get the basics right, um, but to amuse people and I suppose have that intelligent approach to marketing, I find that that's actually quite rare. It is. I mean, it's you got to tie it back into the brand and how the brand wants to be positioned and how customers feel about the brand. And if you can have those little bits of gold in it throughout it, I mean, it just keeps people on, you know, excited and engaged outside of the mechanics of the program. Yeah. And I think what it does as well, it's the kind of thing that I know I would comment to my friend about going, oh, it's cool. It's the dough getters. I love it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I've actually heard. You know, I've heard people who have said, you know, did you get, you know, I was lucky enough to have worked on the program, but I'm like, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, I wasn't responsible for the creative execution, but the team that worked on it from Baker's Delight just uh, make sure they ticked every little box to make sure it was perfect. Wonderful, wonderful. And I do like the evolution of thinking as well, Billy, because um, as you've mentioned already, they did have a traditional stamp card program. I think the company is about 40 years in business. So, you know, certainly very clear, I suppose, on its positioning and I suppose the type of behaviors it wanted to change. But I also saw um, some amazing statistics on the program on LinkedIn in terms of what's happened now since they've launched the new program. So some that I was impressed with, for example, was I know they have a $5 uh, reward voucher and yep. um, with incredible redemption rates over 80%. Were you expecting that or how does that compare to, I suppose, what you'd hoped for? Yeah, I mean, the team set some really ambitious goals. Um because Baker's Delight, they've got uh, Cobbs as well in Canada. So that very, like, very really the same, but they're slightly different programs that they've run. Mm. But we didn't expect um, to have, you know, such great adoption. Like their acquisition's been phenomenal. They drive acquisition through the downloading of the app. That's gone through the roof. Yeah. Um, and you don't need to just use your mobile phone to redeem. You can tell them your mobile number or your email address. You can redeem at pause. So it makes it quite seamless if you do have internet issues. Yeah. Um, but 25% increase in, in carts uh, size. So actual order value during um, wow. for loyalty members. So they are seeing that, that increase in basket size through loyalty. Wonderful. They're the kind of ones that absolutely make my heart swell with, you know, pride for our industry, Billy, because I think we've all been in the situation where somebody has asked us to, I suppose, justify their decision to invest in loyalty, convince them it can actually create value. So when you have statistics like that, that you can share, you must be incredibly proud. Yeah. Yeah. Look, uh, for the first couple of weeks, I was sitting there in the account watching <laughs> watching the volume of customers go up and the yeah. basket size increase. I was like, well, this is doing everything we'd kind of hoped for. Yeah. So absolutely. Great, great, great. So listen, I mentioned at the beginning, Billy, that you have some, um, I think, truly creative ways to get insights from marketeers. And yes. for anyone listening, I'm going to say, first of all, you're a fellow podcaster. So already a man after my own heart. You are a <laughs> rap artist and you, <laughs> you also have a supper club. So I'd love to get, an, yeah. uh, I suppose, an insight into, first of all, why do you decide to invest your time in these kind of very creative ways of connecting with people? Yeah, I think for me... Um, 
you know, I can read books and I do read books. I read blogs and I listen to other people's podcasts, but a lot of the time I, I need to connect with the customers that I'm typically aligned to, you know, to having a job to serve, right? So my my goal and my whole business kind of model personally and professionally has always been to work with marketers, whether it be my design background as a UX designer uh, coming out of university, yeah. which is, but now obviously running a business to position software. Yeah. So a lot of it started from a concept called um, 50 marketers in 50 days. I really just wanted to get insight from whether it be Australia or Asia on the things that are really keeping marketers up at night and how much what mm. we were going to market with was relevant to them. Okay. And it, it repositioned my thinking. So I started off with this 50 marketers in 50 days and then it turned into a podcast because the response I got from my audience was like, we would love to hear about these insights and these professionals wow. talking about yeah. their, their lessons in life and in the career. Mm-hmm. So I, I did it. Now I do it as a way of kind of keeping myself relevant and researching certain topics. So yeah, we know NFTs, I'll get an NFT specialist on and have to do my research prior to interviewing them, as I'm sure you know. Yeah. So it keeps me, keeps me relevant, right? That, that's why. Um, the rap thing, um, <laughs> I, I, I guess from a very young age, I, I, I had a way with words and poetry. So I, it, it ended up resulting in, a, in an album, um, which I released just after my son was born. Wow. Um, but I think what it actually helped me do was confident be confident in front of people and being able to present and talk yeah. and run a podcast. So that's a wow. skill set I think yes. has really helped me. Totally, totally. And what I hear coming through there, Billy, is um, it's almost like I really feel our brains, like we educate our, our our left side of our brain, I think, in school and all the way up through our traditional education. But I think very often the right-hand side of the brain, the creative side is maybe neglected. So for me, that's actually what I find coming through as a podcaster. I can hear coming through in your passion as an artist. And then the fact that the brain just has all of these different perspectives, I think it makes a, a very unique way of understanding how the world works, in fact. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's it's just enlightening too. I speak to so many interesting people um, throughout the, 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 you know, my research and my podcast. And even when I'm writing a, writing a new song, connecting with different people from different industries, it just... It, to be honest, like without it, I, I don't know if I could do I do a nine <laughs> to five like I do. It keeps me sane. Wow. Wow. Well, it does mean that you're very well positioned, Billy, to, um, I suppose, share what you're hearing from particularly brands, I suppose, at the moment. And I will come back to NFTs because that's something I'm interested in. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are still not really even aware of NFTs. But on the, the basics of loyalty, we're here, you know, in kind of February, March 2022, um, a lot is changing as it always, you know, will do. But what do you think is keeping up those brand marketeers at nighttime as you went out to, to find out? Yeah. One of the interesting topics that we kind of discussed in our supper club um, was the privacy changes that are hitting the industry, right? So a lot of marketers, um, it's hard enough doing their day job of executing, but yep. to stay on top of data and regulation challenges and privacy, while that stuff's not sexy, yeah. They're not they're not sure as to how they can connect with their customer in this cookie-less era that's starting to come. So you may have heard, yeah. you know, Google is changing their privacy laws, Apple's changing their privacy laws, clearly trying to monopolize as well. That's a yeah. session for another another day. <laughs> and 
And uh, marketers are thinking to themselves, well, the traditional way of of advertising through Facebook or social media platforms and third-party kind of providers is going to be gone. So how do we now build this direct-to-consumer relationship? And Mm. and a lot of companies, whether you're a CPG vendor or a a retailer, it doesn't matter. Like a lot of them are relying on third parties. So when I ask the simple question of like what activity is driving the most attribution or Mm. channels driving the most attribution to your marketing efforts, if there's a question mark saying, well, a big part of it is third-party advertising, Mm. you've got to find a way to connect with the end consumer and yeah. loyalty is actually driving that con- connection because if you can package up a great value proposition, whether it be mm. a membership mm. program, a subscription program, a punch yeah. card program, yeah, a customer will give you that information if they know why. So that's that's definitely something that's keeping people at night and the connection is definitely loyalty. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think we're still at the early stages, Billy, um, certainly in my view of the understanding of the complexity, particularly, as you said, for privacy. And even, you know, to your point about doing research before a show, I knew we were going to be talking about this today. I had to go back and look up the difference between (laughs) zero party data, first party data, because it is so utterly complex. And I think we're in a a privileged position, you and I, that we know the cookies are going. We're probably on a, I don't know what, like a 12-month countdown, is it right now with the Google side? Yes, they pushed it out to 2023 is what they've kind of mandated. Um, And I think they've done that to give people more time to to kind of make sure that they prepare for it. Yeah. And But you're already seeing Apple with their latest ads. Uh, You know, I don't know if you saw that commercial where the guy is on his phone and then he stops at the cafe to get a coffee and then he starts following him, right? And it's like, oh, it's yes. hilarious, Yes, but Apple are starting to play on it because what they want inherently yeah. is yeah. people to start managing their preferences and how they engage with brands through the app or through their software being iOS. Yeah, yeah. And probably one of the most dramatic, um, I suppose, results that I've seen recently, um, and I think the whole world was was truly shocked, was the devaluation, for example, with Facebook. And I think yes. that was, you know, partly because they're, yes, investing in the metaverse to an extraordinary degree. I think $10 billion was the number I saw. But to me, I think it's the business model of, yes, as you said, the marketeers have been spending their budgets, you know, with the Facebooks of the world in order to to follow people around the internet, something I really, really don't enjoy, I have to say, as a consumer. Um, But absolutely, if that's going to discontinue, then Facebook, I think, is in question as a marketing solution. And I think you're absolutely right. I think loyalty has to be increasingly respected and invested in in order to compensate for that lost channel. 100%. Well, I think you're saying is wherever the mice are playing, the cats come out. To, yeah. to pray. And that's typically what Facebook and all every marketer has done yeah. is they go, we know that there's this demographic of people that we may want to target and add to. Let's put that into Facebook and yeah. hope for the best. Yeah. Well, it's about time we've started to go back to the basics of marketing and say, well, build a value proposition, find mm. a reason why people will engage and acquire them, build your own customer database that you can gain insights from. I mean, yeah. Yeah. it's, it's, uh, it is 101, but we kind of lose sight so it's a blessing at the same time. And the, the devaluation of Facebook, I think um, they're kind of moving into this tangent of the metaverse. Yeah. Uh, probably had something to do with it too, but it's, it's, sure. uh, it's great. It's great to see. I kind of, I'm kind of <laughs> happy to see it, to be honest. <laughs> We're feeling validated, Billy, I think, if I'm right. Yes, yeah? <laughs> that is right.
Okay, brilliant. And I do think, I suppose it's also timely though, Billy, because as we've said, if it's 2023, and I think it's been pushed out, I think twice in terms of how long I've been following this decision uh, for Chrome not to um, obviously continue with cookies. You're absolutely right. That's giving people time to get their heads around it. But certainly in my experience, sometimes loyalty programs really do take time to think through properly, to go out to market, as I know all of your clients have done, you know, choose a vendor like Cheetah Digital, for example, as a solution. And then, as we said, build the creativity, the proposition and launch something. So I think it's about time now that people have to think about it. Like there is no time to be lost. No, no. I mean, you've got a, the, the planning that goes into launching a loyalty program and, and getting the business buy-in, every yeah. department that's going to touch the loyalty program, which is every single department in an organisation. And if yeah. you have physical stores, it's even larger. Yeah. Um, you've got to get buy-in. You've got to get their support behind it. And then um, you've got to commercialise yeah. it and activate yeah. it, right? So you're right. It t- does take a while. So starting now is is not too late. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you said to me before when we chatted as well, Billy, um, again, something that I have, you know, seen in my own career is that it's often the the big kind of sexy TV campaigns or outdoor creative that often gets the most buzz internally when you're doing, you know, <laughs> high profile thing. So yeah. I, I think you're right. Like going back to basics 101 is sometimes quite difficult for loyalty marketeers to get that level of visibility, respect and investment that they need. But hopefully mm. these kind of conversations will, will help them get all of that. Yes. Yeah, you're not wrong. I think uh, the way I kind of phrase it is like if you're at the bar, you're not talking about uh, <laughs> your loyalty program, are you? You're talking about, you know, yes. we're trialing virtual reality, you know, we're launching yeah. a set of NFTs, we're doing all these great TV campaigns and we have Robert De Niro starring, whatever yeah. it may be. The loyalty is the afterthought where now it's it's going to have to be at the forefront because yeah. um, it's definitely going to help position you for the future. For sure, for sure. And another thing I know you've commented to me, Billy, which I really love is um, for some programs, they're starting to think even more creatively, I think beyond transactions. Um, and I think mm-hmm. Hans was the particular client that you mentioned do this. But I love the idea of identifying other behaviors that are beneficial to the business without it being a sale, for example, and using our loyalty assets in order to incentivize that. So I'd love you to talk a bit about that kind of non-transactional stuff that you're seeing from your clients. Yeah, absolutely. I think the movement happened um, during COVID. There was a lot of brands who tried to say, like, how do we stop forcing transactions on a a client, on a customer, right? Because we don't want to be that brand that's like, hey, you may have yeah. lost your job, but keep <laughs> buying to keep your loyalty, right? Yeah. So this kind of movement, and yes, yes Vance family is the perfect example from it of, of this, this kind of concept is how do you move away from transactions to interactions? Yeah. And what behaviors do you want to make a customer kind of do mm-hmm. to be rewarded for them? A simple concept with Vans was we want to reward you for engagement. So mm-hmm. if you give us information and when you join the program, you get asked questions like, how do you lace up your Vans? Do you wear them laced up or unlaced? You know, um, wow. what, whether, take, share a photo with our community on your first pair of Vans. Mm. Um, so they would reward you for UGC, mm. connect your social account, mm-hmm. um, refer a friend, participate in, in a challenge around watching a video. Whatever you do, they reward you with points. And mm-hmm. those points can be used to then redeem rewards in their loyalty reward store. Could mm-hmm. be anything from uh, skateboard stickers to a 24 karat gold skateboard ramp. 
But the beauty of this engagement was that they could profile their audience and learn things like, hey, a lot of our customers have a great affinity to music. So we'll do, an, we'll do a partnership with Beats, Dr. Dre's Beats uh, headphones. Mm. They've got an affinity to pets. Okay, we'll release some dog stickers and dog collars. So oh. you could see this kind of information wow. transcending wow. into their program. Yeah. And it was it was brilliant, but it's more than that. Like if you look at um, uh, other metrics or let's just say, yeah, metrics that activities that businesses mm. want to kind of promote, mm. you've got, you're a health insurance provider. Your benefits program really shouldn't just be about movie tickets or, um, you know, uh, getting some uh, 25% off your electricity, whatever it may be. Yeah. It should be to reward those values that you instill in your brand, which is creating healthier humans. So if that's mm. the case, should you reward people for steps, miles, distance mm. run? Mm. Uh, you know, that's the side of thing that you can now track through a Fitbit or a Garmin or a Strava device yeah. and reward your consumers for. So we are seeing a huge movement in this move uh, what metrics do we want to inst- uh, re- reward consumers for wow. achieving wow that's again music to my ears billy because i think in the past when i've been having those kind of conversations which probably goes back 5 or 6 years at this stage there was always pushback on the financial side like why mm-hmm. would we invest you know our marketing budgets in again something where there's no actual direct return on that investment so it sounds like the mindset has shifted in terms of the, the the clients and brands you're talking to. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And when we use a very simple concept of crawl, walk, run, right? Like what do we want to do today, tomorrow, and in the future? And a lot of the future planning for the brands that I'm interacting with is figuring out how to reward consumers for things outside of spend. Okay. And, yeah, you know, mindfulness is a big thing. So if you're a brand that's, you know, working towards uh, healthier humans, like should you not reward people for doing mindfulness minutes with smiling mind or, you know, Mm. headspace. So there's this coalition is changing in my mind as well. It's not just about getting a a order or selling something with your coalition partner. It's about, you know, making sure we enable them to connect with their brand as well in different ways. I love it. I love it. And I think, yes, mindfulness again, you know, five or six years ago was probably something that was quite taboo to mention, certainly in a business context. Uh, Plenty of us were probably exploring it outside of the office, but wonderful to hear that there's an openness to that. And again, I guess, driven by actual consumer behavior and I guess consumer demand for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The consumers, uh, if you, if you look at some recent studies that were done, consumers are saying that, um, they want to engage with brands who also suit their values and they want to deliver against that brand promise. So I used to walk in and I still walk into a lot of offices where there's a quote on a wall, but it's got to be more than that. The customer now wants to see you executing that promise. So if you say something and promote something, you've got to make sure you execute on it too. Otherwise they will move on. Yes, you're absolutely right. So listen, Billy, you and I both share an absolute passion for innovation. Um, And I think that's both within loyalty and obviously in other areas. And I know design thinking, for example, is something you've studied and very interested to see your whole LinkedIn profile. But tell me about, um, I suppose, NFTs, first of all, as an innovation in the world that a lot of people still don't understand. Um, So I'd love a quick, you know, maybe explanation of it, if you don't mind. And then just your thoughts on how do NFTs, for example, maybe relate to the loyalty industry? 
Yeah, that's a really good. That's a really good uh, question. You know, NFTs are confusing a lot of people um, because there's this <laughs> movement that we're seeing of uh, people people spending. Two hundred and fifty, three hundred thousand dollars on a on a on a digital piece of art of a of a bored ape, right? Yeah, Why would people yeah. do that? Yeah. So, so the movement of NFTs, non fungible tokens, is essentially uh, a digital contract of some mm. kind, right? And mm-hmm. it could be art. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be uh, you know tomorrow Starbucks could release a hundred. Uh, NFT badges of coffee cups of, of designed coffee cups and people who, yeah. who buy those digital NFT t- coffee cups could unlock benefits that nobody else has being part of the loyalty program, like lifetime okay. supply of free coffee. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a smart contract between the consumer and a brand and a brand can kind of add to it at any point in time. So a lot of the NFTs that we're seeing be promoted right now is digital art. Right. So you're seeing, yeah. Um, the Board Ape Yacht Club, who have launched a whole bunch of um, ape characters, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, that people are buying and putting as a as a LinkedIn photo or as a Twitter photo, and it's creating almost this form of exclusivity. Like, are you part of this community? Yeah. And I actually know people in New York who have bought these apes very early on, and they get exclusive access to certain nightclubs, certain bars, certain cafes, they get discounts at certain things just because they have got this digital NFT Mm. in their mobile or digital wallets. So I'll give you a great example of an NFT use case. Um, Mm -hmm. During the tennis at the Australian Open, Mm -hmm. Tennis Australia released, I think it was about, could have been about 10,000, maybe less, digital 3D NFT tennis balls. Okay. Every tennis ball mm-hmm. was designed uh, bespoke, so it had its own little pattern on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you didn't realize is, as you as you went and bid and you bought this uh, this digital tennis ball, which um, you had to have Ethereum, which is a digital cryptocurrency, to, to buy. Yeah. Um, it actually then told you that it occupied a space on their. Rod Laver Arena tennis court. So the tennis court at Rod Laver Arena is a digital court, meaning mm-hmm. um, as you may have seen, if someone does an out or a fault or a, a hit the ball hits the line, they can actually tell you in live time, like, yeah, it was actually in reward some points. But they turned the tennis court into a grid um, or let's just say pixels and mm-hmm. every tennis ball had a spot on the court. Mm-hmm. So if you did um, have that tennis ball where you know, Nadal hit a serve and aced and, and, you know, won a match point, Yeah, you would then get a elevation in your tennis ball. So it would go from bronze to silver to gold. And the more match points that were hit in that spot would mm. unlock a whole new set of benefits for you. Those benefits could be uh, going to a, a metaverse uh, um uh, mm-hmm. event. So it would have been like they typically do all their all their shows with live bands during the Australian Open. Mm. But if you dialed into the metaverse and joined their their live band, it could have been Travis Scott. It could have been anyone from around the world performing wow. in what they called, uh, you know, it was like a digital wonderland. Yeah. Um, you can have basically two years free access to the tennis. Um, so at any point in time, Anyone who bought one of those tennis balls can gain access to things 
that they don't even know about. So Tennis Australia could turn around tomorrow and say, everyone that funded our NFT project can have a signed tennis racket from their favorite tennis player. Leaves it completely open because there are no rules. It's yeah. it's a contract between yourself and the brand. So wow. it's 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 diverse. It's uh, complicated, but it's also up to the most creative minds to figure out how we use this technology mm. to um, to drive brand loyalty. And you're going to see quite a few brands. I know McDonald's yeah. have now uh, bought some space in the metaverse to have. Not yep. sure why anyone would put their headset on and, and order takeaway from a <laughs> virtual, virtual Macca's store. <laughs> but if you but if you're in a um yeah in a virtual game and you veer off to the left and order a hamburger and it gets delivered to your doorstep and you buy it using a McDonald's NFT token, it, it could be a world that we live that maybe I'm not part of, but <laughs> something that yeah. the future is gonna have access to. Wow. Well, I mean, that's an incredible case study, Billy. Um, I've been looking for examples of how NFTs could drive loyalty and you're the first person who could actually give me one. <laughs> so well done on that. Amazing <laughs> oh, example. Yeah, no, I think it's extraordinary because like we talk a lot on this show, as I'm sure you do on your own podcast, about the difference between transactional loyalty and emotional loyalty. And I think my expectation was that anything in the metaverse or that's NFTs or crypto related, all of those kind of scary new words, that they would feel quite transactional or quite hype driven. So mm. I was looking on your LinkedIn about the hype cycle. And I think that's absolutely something that we're all, I suppose, aware of in terms of these new technologies. So yes. I think for brands, it is quite nerve wracking to say, at what point do we jump on this bandwagon and try and develop something like that Australia Tennis Open? I think that's a brilliant example yes. of just taking yes. a risk and giving it a go. Yeah, you know, the one thing I've 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 been able to understand, and, and this is like anything during the hype cycle, a lot of people got into the NFT space and you know, releasing digital art, but the ones that have got lifetime value are the ones that have a form of utility. So what does it actually unlock for you as opposed to just being a, a piece of digital art? Yeah. And the brands who are thinking about, well, what do we want to reward these people? Just like a loyalty program, these people yeah. that buy these digital NFTs and have them on a wallet, Yeah. a digital wallet, what will that gain access to? Yeah. Is it greater than a loyalty program or is it just the future of how to engage and buy into a loyalty program? Because you don't get it for free. You have to yeah. buy them. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that will lead us definitely into our next topic. But before I leave this one, what I am kind of hearing as well, Billy, is definitely, I suppose, there are the early adopters, which I think we're all familiar with. So anybody I think now who is buying NFTs definitely has a probably some level of similar, you know, socio-demographic profile, I'm guessing. But that piece of exclusivity that you mentioned, and I'd heard about the same thing in New York, for example, and I suppose to, to show up and get into an exclusive club and to be, I suppose, then together with a tribe of people who are other early adopters and buying, whether it's board apes or whatever the particular asset <laughs> might be, I think that must be super cool when you get in the door, you know, and just super exciting. Yeah, it's it's you know you you question why people buy spend you know thousands of dollars on a Louis Vuitton handbag. Sometimes it's just to be part of a 
yeah. tribe or a, a community of people. Yeah. I suspect that the ado- early adopters felt the same and now yeah. they're actually gaining access to things that they may never thought they would have by yeah. investing in these sorts of things. So it's super cool. I, yeah. I keep my ear to the ground to see how it's going to impact the the world and the market, but yeah. um I'm not. Uh, I'm also not spending a, a huge fortune in buying <laughs> exactly. digital artwork. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So listen, then I mentioned that the other one that I'm always interested in asking about is this whole idea of paid loyalty, um, and I mean in the, I suppose the more traditional sense of subscription programs. We're all familiar with the business model of subscription, but given that you're in APAC and um, some very sophisticated markets, there, Billy. What is the appetite or interest in subscription type loyalty in in your business and your market at the moment? Yeah, so I've spoken to quite a few clients, funnily enough, in the retail vertical, who are thinking about how to create subscription loyalty. And it's there's a there's a company years ago that I was uh, I, I got the chance to work with called the Trunk Club. Okay. And what they did was they they understood that. Um, and it is subscription loyalty, but when they they understood men don't like going and doing any shopping, right? Sure, well, yeah. Most men stereotyping, mm. but <laughs> yeah, um, and they 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 solve the problem by you subscribe to a certain trunk, so a box of clothing, okay, and it would be uh, you know let's just call it bronze to platinum. Mm. You may spend a hundred to three hundred dollars a month on this mm-hmm. trunk. They profile you and they understand your tastes, what you like, what type of things you want to wear, your dimensions, and they send you a trunk of clothing. Okay. And that trunk of clothing is comes to your doorstep. You try on all the clothes. Whatever you don't like, you put there and they give back and they refund you for those items. Mm-hmm. And I've spoken to a lot of brands who are thinking about how do we create a subscription or something so we have a residual income or revenue yeah. that's coming from the consumer and yeah. we can reward them with something? I mean, you've got the Mecca Beauty Loop program. Okay. That's, that's I'm not sure if you've heard of the Beauty Loop program, but they no. send you a a box of, um, yeah, let's just call it uh, new to market or new product lines that you can test and trial. They're almost like samplers. Nice. And uh, the, the 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 market actually loves it. I mean, mm. I guess it depends on the samples you get, but they give you samples that typically fit your profile. Yeah. But the, how does that expand into new first-time parents, right? If I'm selling um, baby clothing, would it be easier if I just created a subscription program so parents don't have to think for the first 12 to, 12 to 18 months? Yeah. <laughs> they just have to act. And they get everything delivered to their door. They know what they're getting access to. They know how to use it and it's all there for them. So there are a lot of brands thinking if they can move into that subscription paid loyalty um, concept and it's, it's food for thought at the moment, but they are definitely considering it. Mm. I think that's a really good example, Billy. Um, And having just had to buy some gifts actually for some new parents, I was even thinking, wouldn't that be a wonderful um, gift, for example, if everybody could club together and contribute towards their subscription? So because I think what we all do is we go and buy, you know, baby clothes for the, you know, the three month old. And then six months later, you know, they're, they're literally running out of those. So that idea of an ongoing benefit for the new parents when there is a pain point, but also allowing other people to get involved. I think there could be something wonderful in that. 
Yeah, it's it's like replenishment, right? You know, a baby yeah. between the ages of three to six months is going to yeah. grow. Yeah. Why wouldn't we not send them a new grow suit? And there are things that that are just, from in my mind as a marketer and, and understanding the way data works, it makes sense to try and build a program like that. Mm. Um, so here, watch this space. Hopefully, we see something uh, get launched soon. Absolutely. And just on the other side of subscription as well, Billy. Before I let you go. Do you see any appetite in the Australian market or APAC, I suppose, overall for things like coffee subscription programs or, you know, anything in that kind of space like meal plans? And, you know, because I think the curated subscription definitely has a mm. clear value and it's a, it's a maybe one variation of subscription. But I also love, you know, what's happening with coffee programs in the US and, and UK, for example. Yeah, I did follow actually this, the journey of one of the coffee um, companies in America. Uh, starts with a P. I can't remember the name of it. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, and, and you know what? I I've been reading um, a little bit about the idea in in a whole was was great. I'm not sure how they're going now uh, financially based on based on the, the the promise, but there is there is an appetite in Australia, and there is a lot of brands in Australia and Asia Pacific as a whole. When you mentioned meal prep that that people are already grabbing onto and especially linking that with new time parents or time poor professionals yeah. that are starting to say, you know what, I am going to pay to get a box of of great food delivered to my door. Mm. But it's actually not, it's actually not just the convenience part. So if the people I know and I speak to regularly, they don't want some of them do. They want the ones that you just put in the microwave. But yeah, um, the one I use is a company called Hello Fresh, and they um, deliver three or four recipes to me mm-hmm. um, with all the fresh produce. Yeah. They deliver it on a Monday morning, and all I need to do is follow the recipe. So mm-hmm. I don't have to think about what I'm going to cook. I just wow. choose the meals and yeah. I just prep it for the kids. I say I, me and my wife. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and that's that's a big thing. So there is definitely a, a movement in that subscription space or let's just say convenience space that people are willing to pay for. Yes. Yeah. And I love that actually, because one of my personal pain points, Billy, is anytime when I go out and I find a recipe that I want to cook, it always seems that it's, you know, some particular weird ingredient that's only available in Whole Foods in the US and (laughs) certainly not in Dubai. So, you know, and then I just kind of give up. I'm like, oh, I don't know what to replace it with. So I don't end up doing the cooking, but sounds like HelloFresh is an amazing solution for you. Yes. And they teach you things like, well, I didn't think I could do that, right? You actually feel like you can cook. And uh, wow. a lot of people who are like, yeah, I avoid the kitchen, but they they really help you through it. And on the point of cooking, there's actually another really interesting loyalty program I wanted to kind of, uh, wanted to kind of uh, give you a heads up on. Yeah. Um, so how often do people buy a barbecue, right? I'd say I've had the same barbecue for like five years and then I moved house and yeah. I didn't want to bring it with me and I went and bought another one. Okay. So a loyalty program for pe- for a company that sells barbecues is, is a strange concept. So barbecue galore, barbecues galore have, I would say they've almost created what you would classify as tribe loyalty. So they know it's not necessarily about buying the barbecue. Mm-hmm. It could be about buying the accessories, but mm-hmm. it's also connecting with the community of people who love to grill. Mm. So they've set up this community of people who literally just speak about the recipes they grill, how they cook baby back ribs, the sources they use, wow. the types of butchers they buy meat from. So they've realized that if they could actually create a program that drives connection, utilization mm. of their products, 
yeah. they're going to have more loyalty when they go and buy their next barbecue, whether it be five years down the track or not. Yeah. Well, I've also realized the more you use it, the more likely you are to need a new one. So, and totally. expand your accessories. So, <laughs> Yeah. And I can also see that as much as the intention is very much the, the soft sell and indirect um, and truly creating that community, I absolutely guarantee if I was in a community like that, Billy, I don't know about you, but I would definitely want the coolest barbecue that you might have, you know, so <laughs> it's you, true. You, you discover the functionality through, you know, a friend or a neighbor in a way that you wouldn't probably want or welcome, you know, if you were, you know, to our point earlier, being targeted by cookies on the internet internet just because you Correct. happen to, to, to be grilling. So, wow. Okay. So barbecues galore. We'll have to add that one onto the, the prospect list. Go for it. Wonderful. Great stuff. And for anyone listening, um, we did a Panera Bread on the show recently as well, Billy. So that is a wonderful case study. So anyone who is in, I suppose, the um, the restaurant sector, um, it's a really good one just to understand and extraordinary results, probably also benefiting from, I suppose, the pandemic mentality of, you know, we love to know and manage, I suppose, uncertainty, um, particularly when there's, I suppose, a crisis in the world. So that was definitely something I picked up from, uh, from Panera Bread. Yeah, you know, it's a really interesting concept. I mean, if I if I was back at the office and uh, my local coffee shop downstairs said, "Hey, Billy, you know, pay this much a week and just come and grab a coffee whenever you feel," yeah, I would absolutely do it. Totally, yeah. I'm always feel- having meetings. I'm always walking past the same coffee shop, so it's yeah. a no brainer if you can yeah. make it work. Why not? Well, I literally just subscribed to something here in Dubai recently as well, Billy. And, you know, it's a two for one type proposition. And I literally now have almost gamified myself to go, I need to get back what I'm spending. And then I'm I'm totally winning. So it actually becomes super fun. <laughs> so, <laughs> the points whisperer. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Brilliant, Billy. Well, listen, I have loved all of these fascinating topics and getting your perspectives on all of them. Are there any other key things that you wanted to mention today before we wrap up? Look, no, there's there's not really anything else I want to jump into, but you, you're doing a great job and I love listening to your podcast. So I'm really fortunate to have featured on it. And thank you for taking the time to chat with me. Oh, that's wonderful. And I will mention certainly the name of yours. So your podcast is called Created for Marketers by Marketers. So definitely going to uh, make sure we link to that in the show notes, Billy. And so everyone can listen to your wonderful insights. Are you happy for people to connect with you on LinkedIn, Billy, if they do want to reach out to you? Absolutely. Yeah, the more the merrier. So on that note, Billy Luizu, Vice President, Go to Market APAC for Cheetah Digital. Thank you so much from Let's Talk Loyalty. Appreciate it, Paula. Thank you. This show is sponsored by The Wise Marketeer, the world's most popular source of loyalty marketing news, insights, and research. The Wise Marketeer also offers loyalty marketing training through its Loyalty Academy, which has already certified over 245 executives in 27 countries as certified loyalty marketing professionals. For more information, check out thewisemarketeer.com and loyaltyacademy.org. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like us to send you the latest shows each week, 
simply sign up for the Let's Talk Loyalty newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com. And we'll send our best episodes straight to your inbox. And don't forget that you can follow Let's Talk Loyalty on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And of course, we'd love for you to share your feedback and reviews. Thanks again for supporting the show.